Thank you, Greg and Lois. And children are departing for Children's Church. Have a great time, kids, and see you later. Uh, going to be doing something different today and in, the, um, in the way that the message is presented. So we'll see how this goes. It may be a one-time thing. But, uh, I'll be using the overhead, and I know it may be, uh, it may be difficult for you to see some of the words especially if you're in the way back and if your eyes are dimmed a little bit but you do have an outline that's going to have the same same thing on it so this is what it looks like Uh, you know how when a baby is first born when it's an infant it is totally dependent on someone else to carry it around and change it and burp it and feed it and feed it and feed it as, and change it and then feed it and then, uh, there's a cycle there well as that child grows the child learns to feed itself eventually and it has to learn not only the, the skill of getting uh, fork to mouth but the skill of discerning what's good to eat and what is not so good avoid vanilla for instance go for the something else and a a child learns these things as they grow and they're eventually able to feed themselves and by the time they become teenagers they are feeding machines they're totally capable then by to to feed themselves Paul is going to use that analogy kind of mixed into this passage about not being children but being able to as a church body to see ourselves as one, to, to be able to feed ourselves properly so that this body, this, this organism of our church can, can grow up in all things into Christ who is the head. So that's, that's kind of the idea of this, this passage. It is actually one sentence in Greek. I know some of the translations break it down a little bit, but it's really just one long sentence that um, where Paul not only mixes metaphors but jumbles them together but it, uh, he makes some interesting applications from it so let's start in on this Ephesians 4 11, uh, and he himself gave as part of his gifting to the church not, not only was the church given spiritual gifts, which we'll look at next week, 1 Corinthians 12 and spiritual gifts, but he also gave gifted people, like he gave uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And there's, there's some uh, uh, confusion about what this means, the pastors and teachers, because they're listed together, and some take that as pastor teachers which it could be for instance first uh, timothy 5:17 paul says that an elder who serves well is is worthy of double honor especially he who serves in in uh, the word and teaching and so there's like a, a teaching elder idea 
But the interesting thing to note about this word pastor is it really means shepherd. And in fact, it's the o- this is the only place in the New Testament where poeman the, is translated pastor. Everywhere else is translated shepherd. You know, as, uh, as Paul tells them in Act, Elders in Acts 20, shepherd the church of God. And as Peter talks about shepherding in 1 Peter 5, that, that word is the same word translated pastor here. So it, perhaps a good way to think of this is uh, teaching elders, teaching shepherds. It's, it's likely that it is a, a subset, one is a subset of the other in that while all pastors are teachers, not all teachers are pastors. So it, it's probably pointing to that. But I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this first verse because... Um, what he says next about why Christ gave those is where we really want to go and what what is what are they given for the word for here means purpose for this purpose for the equipping of the saints now that that's the reason that the gifted men were given for this purpose of equipping the saints. The word equipping there mean, means um, a variety of things. It meant uh, to, to mend a net. Like when Jesus found Peter and Andrew on the shore and they were mending their nets. That was the word equipping, mending. The, it means to make something whole, to make something as it should be. It's, it was used in the, the medical profession back then, for instance, of setting a bone. Resetting it to where it was supposed to be. So putting something back into the position uh, that it was supposed to be. The condition that it ought to be. It meant to make something right. To make something fit or complete. To make something usable. And so all that's bound up in this. That the purpose is for the making the saints usable. To making them fit for service. And notice that the, it is the equipping of, of the saints. That is believers, right? And this is who Paul is uh, talking to. So the purpose, the equipping of other believers. Now that has itself a further purpose. That is uh, for the work of ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ. Now these two words for are different from the first one. And they mean concerning. So those two mean concerning. For the equipping of the saints concerning the work of the ministry. This is what it's about. Why are the saints being equipped? Because it's concerning the work of ministry. Uh, The work is what to do and the word ministry there is uh, is where we get the word deacon uh, diakonias and it so it's uh, the word deacon you know today means an office and someone gets up to the office of a deacon perhaps but it wasn't that way in the beginning really the word deacon uh, had the connotation of very lowly service serving tables and uh Serving people and, and humble service. And so th- that's really what, how we should view it here. It's for the, the work of serving one another. Lowly, being willing to, 
to take that humble, lowly spot of service for the sake of one another. So the, the building up, the equipping, the making right of the saints for the work of the ministry, and secondly, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the uh, enabled to do the work of ministry for the further purpose of edifying the body of Christ, or building up, as most other translations put it, the building up of the body of Christ. Um, and the, again, the, the body of Christ are the believers, but now not just believers, but the church. So for the, for the sake of, of edifying, building up the church. So these are these three purpose statements. It's, it's kind of like if you had, um, there was a room you wanted to get to, which was uh, where we end up here with the building up of the body of Christ. But the first door you have to go through is, is the equipping of the saints. Then you go down a hall, and the next door you have to go through is the work of ministry. And then the third door you go through is for the edifying of the body of Christ, and you finally get there. And you can't get there without going through the other first two doors. You can't go down that hall and through a, to that room without going through those other doors. So this is a, a sequence of things that God has put in order to work this way for the sake of building up his body. Well, just how long are we supposed to do that? Until, or till, we all come to the unity of the faith. So we keep working at this, and we keep doing this until that happens. And, and it's till we all come. Um, it's, it's not a goal for you to get there or you and your family to get there. It's for us as a church body to all get there, to, to all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So, you know, if a, if a shepherd had 10 sheep and at night he wants to get them into the fold and, and he's counting them as they come in and eight of them make it in, he says, well, that's 80%, you know, that's above failing. That's good. Well, what about the other two? Till we all come in. And we should be concerned about one another that way. It's not enough for us to say, well, you know, some of us are doing okay. Some, some of us are growing in our faith. But we should look at the whole body and all of us and want, want to minister to each other in such a way that we all come into the knowledge of the Son of God, the unity of the faith. In that case, we are all sheep and shepherds at the same time. We shepherd one another in that sense, and we are all sheep, and other people shepherd us, and we yield to that process, and that's what makes this work. Now, until we all come... Um, to two things Th and these are the this is the general goal to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the son of God 
<clears throat> to the unity of the faith. And uh, the unity goes back to the, because we are a body of Christ. And the, the unity here is something that, that Paul in this uh, chapter has really been focusing in on. In fact, if you go back to the first part of the chapter, let's look at the first six verses of Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. And so Paul has already established in the, the first uh, six verses of this chapter a, a call to understanding our unity and endeavoring to maintain that. And he was talking about the, the unity of the Spirit, and now he talks about the unity of the faith. And those two things have to go together. There's no unity of spirit if there's not unity of the faith. And notice that he says the faith here, not just unity of faith of believing. We all might believe. You, you could believe in um, Buddha, and I believe in Christ, and we would all say we believe. But so it's not just a matter of, of believing something, but of the faith. And the definite article there marks this out as, as a body of truth that the, the church agreed to. This is what is true. This is what, it, what is true about God. He is a triune God. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who is eternal and perfect in all His attributes. His, his Word is the very Word of God and inerrant. Uh, he saves us by the work of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Those things are the, the body of faith, the body of truth that we believe, the unity of the faith. So we, we all want each other to come to understand correct biblical teaching and to live it, to not just know it, but to live it. So till we come to the unity of the faith, and the second general goal is uh, to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, uh, this word uh, knowledge here uh, has a, a prefix to it that a lot of translators say uh, makes it mean full knowledge. It's not just gnosko, it's epignosko. So it's full knowledge. And that that may be, but the interesting thing to me here is that would you say that the people to whom Paul is writing here, the church at Ephesus, did they know Jesus? Well, yeah, they knew him. So why is he saying that they come to the knowledge of the Son of God? Well, it's, it's because there's a getting to know someone you might know someone personally and have a relationship with them, but can you grow in that knowledge of them? 
If it's your spouse, you better be growing in your knowledge of them. And as you, the relationship matures, you, that, that knowledge grows and you get to know them more and more. Well, um, let's look at a, a couple of other passages along this line. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 3. <coughs> Philippians 3 verse 7 and at least the first part of 8 here's Paul's own testimony where he says but what things were, were gained to me these I have counted loss for Christ yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord I, I want to know him more is what Paul is saying. And everything compared to Christ is like rubbish. I just want to, to know him, the excellence, the surpassing greatness of knowing him more. Look at verse 10. That I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, maybe your reaction to that is like mine the first time I read that. I liked the first part of verse 10, that I may know him. But what is this thing about the fellowship of his sufferings and the likeness of his death? If you really get to to know him and you really start growing in your knowledge of Christ then you will want to to say with Paul I am crucified with Christ I know what it is to be crucified with him I no longer live for self but for him and so that is what Paul is writing to them about to, to grow in that kind of a knowledge of Christ a self-sacrificing Knowledge that we, we recognize our old man is dead into new life in Christ. Um, one more passage, Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter one, verse two and three. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How or where is that multiplied to you? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And now notice, look at verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to grow as a Christian, to live as a Christian. All that is needed for your spiritual life and your walk on this planet. All things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given to us dia through, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. How, how does God give that to us? He has made it available. 
We, we lack nothing. But the, the means by which he gives it to us is, is through knowing Jesus more. That's how we grow. And that, so that's what Paul is talking about here. Uh, until we all come to understand this and to live it uh, to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge the personal intimate knowledge of Christ so that's the that's the general goal and then there are two specific goals two specific ways this works out First of all, to a perfect man. There's, there are two words that we want to look at in particular here. The, the word man and the word perfect. To a, to a perfect man. Um, that, the word perfect often means complete or mature. It can mean perfect as in perfection in some cases. Um, I think that's how Paul is meaning for it to be used here. And in your notes for further reflection, uh, there's a little Bible study if you do on that. But it, it's to at least means that we become a, um, all that we should be. Well, what should we be? then becomes the question to a, a perfect man the, the thing that I want to point out about that is it is singular and notice the plural here compared to the singular there some translations and commentaries act as if Paul made a grammatical error here that, that God giving the word through Paul should have used a plural but he doesn't he uses a, a singular that's crooked isn't it on purpose why because we are to see ourselves as one until we all come to the unity of the faith to a perfect a complete person complete being it's think about it like um a husband and wife and they too those two shall become one right husband and wife are to see themselves as one not two separate people who happen to live under the same roof but one and that's how the church is to view itself we are many members that's true maybe 200 members altogether here at Martinsdale but but it is one body and that's it. We not be satisfied with just part of our body growing. What if your arm just kept growing and this arm didn't? Then you would be grossly deformed, right? And so we're concerned that we grow in proportion, that everything grows, that all the members grow together in unity, one body to a perfect man, complete well, what does that look like? What, what would it look like for all of us to come to that position? Then that's the second specific goal given here to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, uh, to the measure, 
how are we to measure our spiritual growth? Well, as individuals, you, you don't just compare yourself to other Christians because there will always be people who are doing worse than you and it will be an occasion for pride or depression. So you don't compare yourself with others. We compare ourselves with the measure that Christ has set before us to the measure, to the standard of the stature, and the word stature just means the, the full height, of the fullness of Christ. But to the, the fullness of all that Christ is. That, so that is to be fully Christ-like. To the fullness of what it means to be Christ. Till we all become Christ-like. That's God's design for every believer, and it's His design for all of us united in a body, too. Now, verse 14. Um, here is a purpose statement, and it's stated in the negative. And then he'll restate it in the positive. So we have the original purpose statement for the equipping of the saints that we should no longer be children. That we should no longer be children. Um, notice how the um, children here goes back to Maturity, the complete maturity of man. And so the, Paul putting in the negative here, so you are no longer children. You aren't supposed to be childish in your faith. Childlike in your faith, right? Childlike in your, the simplicity of believing and taking Christ for his word and so forth, but not childish in your faith. There's a, there's a big difference there. Um, look at Hebrews 5.13. Well, let's... Uh, in fact, we'll look at Hebrews 5.12 and following. Okay, Hebrews 5.12 For though by this time you ought to be teachers You need someone to teach you again The first principles of the oracles of God And you have come to need milk And not solid food For everyone who partakes only of milk Is unskilled in the word of righteousness For he is a baby but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And so it is a matter of being able to discern good and evil, false and truth. Uh, that's someone who is growing in the faith has that ability. And that's what Paul is going to talk about 
uh, here in Ephesians 4 that you no longer be children so that you no longer be children in fact uh, this actually translates a word that means infant that you and the reason to no longer be children is what he says down here because what happens with children is that they are tossed to and fro and carried about now here's one of the places where Paul is mixing his metaphors he's going from thinking of a child compared to a, a man to, to thinking visualizing a little boat out on the sea and a storm and, and this boat is being tossed to and fro and, and carried about by the winds it just has no uh, control over it it's just being moved around and this is talking about the instability of immature Christians so if you, we are childish in our faith we're, we're unstable in our faith is what he's saying we are not able to discern and therefore we get blown about by every wind of doctrine um, by everything that comes along every wind of doctrine or teaching and uh, wind is uh, something that's insubstantial and unreliable there can be occasions where the wind blows really strong and does in fact great damage but it's, it just is there and gone and the false teaching is like that there are times when that false teaching can come across with a forcefulness and blow you off course and then leave you and there are, t there are times when there's, there's no wind there's nothing to it it's insubstantial it's, it's not reliable with, uh, with every wind of doctrine being blown about by that by the trickery of men and the, the word translated trickery here is, is literally the word uh, dice rolling by the dice rolling of men and that was a, a popular um, recreation back in those days and everybody knew that other people loaded the dice so that they could more accurately predict what it was going to come out when they rolled the dice and so they uh, it, it became such a common practice to cheat other people by that that this word for rolling the dice came to mean tricking other people so by the, by the trickery of men who are, are not looking out for your best interests they're trying to trick you and they're doing it in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting in the cunning craftiness the word crafty here means is literally it's two words anything do and we would we'd switch that around wouldn't we to do anything now if a person is a crafty person maybe they they can do a lot of different things and and we can think of that in a good way but this word translated craftiness here was always used in a negative way back at this time in the new testament the a person who's willing to do anything to get you off track in your Christian walk. 
They'll go to any lengths, do anything that they have to, to get you off balance, to throw you off. And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Some translations say uh, plot, uh, deceitful schemes or scheming, and that's a, a good word too. That word is it's a, the Greek word methodia, from which we get methods. And, you know, it's good to have methods in what you're doing. But again, at, back at this time, that word methodia always was used in a negative way of people who were scheming or devising plans for the ruin, destruction of other people. And so the original hearers of this would have taken it that way. These are people who are, who are not out for my best interest. They're out for their own best interest, so they will do whatever it takes to accomplish it, and, and they have deceitful schemes to arrive there. So Paul is warning them about this. In order to grow up in the fullness of Christ, you, you can't remain childish in the faith. You have to grow. He's, he's talking about how the body grows, but he wants to make it in the, in the center of this sentence um, very clear to us why that is so important because if we don't grow we are going to get blown off course so now he, he continues the, um, the purpose statement with the positive side of it but <coughs> speaking the truth but speaking the truth in love in fact um, so we have the, the truth in contrast to trickery, craftiness, and deceitful methods. We have truth. Truth overcomes those. The truth of who Christ is, the truth of his word, the unity of the faith. But speaking the truth. Now, in Greek, this is all one word. The word speaking is not in the original text. Never was. Happened to be translated that way early on in the early English manuscripts, speaking the truth. And, and now every version just automatically does that. It includes speaking the truth, but it's broader than that. The word is actually truthing. The participle. Truthing in love. Now that includes speaking, right? Because if the truthing in every area of your life, that includes what you say. And I think probably the, the reason it was originally translated speaking the truth is because of the connection of the previous verses about the, de the deceit and trickery of false doctrine. That's probably how that came about. And that, that is absolutely true that that is one of the ways to take this, that, that it is tr uh, speaking the truth. But it's also more than that. It's not just what you say, but how you live, right? It's living the truth in love. It's doing the truth in love. It's working the truth in love. Following the truth in love. As well as speaking the truth in love. As we are truthing in love, then we'll grow together. So, I have another passage to
to show you, which is Second John two, Second uh, John one one through six, where love and truth are all together. There, we don't have time for that. So, you saw the clock. So, next, some other time. But if you want to look at Second uh, John verses one through six, look at the connection between truth and love. In that, the truth and love go hand in hand. It's, you can't have truth without love. You can't have real love without truth. It, love in the biblical sense of it. Th- those have to go together. It, a full measure of truth and a full measure of love always. Don't compromise on, on either one. That's, that's the idea. Uh, this, and the idea of love, you know, it's just like our our love for uh, what our love is supposed to be for our spouse is a, a, a commitment to the welfare of of their being. I make a, a choice to be a blessing to them, and I make a choice to be committed to them in a marital relationship. Um, that's how it is to each other to be have this kind of commitment to the welfare, the growing up of each other in love. Uh, okay, so that, that we, as a subject from, the continuing subject from up there, so that we may grow up into all things into him. That, that we may grow up um, no longer being children, but being mature men. So how do we... He warns us about being childish in our faith. So grow up. How do we do that? We grow up in all things, in every area of life. You, you, you can't compartmentalize your life into here's my church life and here's my social life and here's my work life and my family life. It's, it's all... It all belongs to Christ. You grow up in all things uh, into Him. He is our standard. And it goes, goes back uh, to here, to the fullness of Christ. Paul is saying the same thing down here, into Him. He is the standard. How do you know if you're growing? We're growing into Him, into being like Him. Um, who is the head, uh, Colossians 1.18, Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, which is the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence, first place. So we grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. He is the goal. He is the center of all that we do. He is our, our treasure. It is into him that we grow and it is from him that we grow he's the center into him from him are all things from whom the whole body again we go back to that idea of of unity the whole body um, the like the fourth time that Paul has talked about the unity of the body here. From whom the whole body 
joined and knit together. These are passive. That is not something that we do. It's something that Christ does. Christ from whom the whole body is joined and is knit together. It's, it's brought together and cohesed in him. And he, he does that by using the church. So it is done um, by Christ, uh, it's from Christ as the source, and Christ uses the body then to build the body by what every joint supplies according to its effective working in the first place. So it's by what every joint supplies. All of us are needed. And no matter how big or little a part you might play, we're, we're all needed. It, it's all necessary. And there are some parts that like of your body you might not even, you might not even think about until you, you very much need them. So I was talking to Dave Stringer um, about his problem with his knee. Um, one of the things I love about Dave is he constantly furnishes me with sermon illustrations. <laughs> but he has a problem between his kneecap and his uh, lower leg of this uh, tendon is torn. Well, if, if that tendon is not working, you are not going to be able to swing your leg. So he's been having to wear a brace and so forth on just to be able to, to use that. Um, is that called the patulia? patulia? Patella. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dave has been finding out recently how this patella, which I'm guessing you probably haven't thought a whole lot about in the last 50 years, no, do you, I mean, are, do you sit around thinking about? Your <laughs> I don't think so. But when it's not working, you are thinking about it, right? Then, but it's even though it's a little thing, it, it is desperately needed by what every joint supplies. So we we all have a part in this. What what we supply according to its effective working. Now, I've often wondered what does that word effective mean? That I thought it meant um, that it works well, it does what it's supposed to. Some translations say proper. But really, that word is literally the word measure. You see this word measure up here? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that is that exact same word, metron. According to the working measure, to the right measure. Now, if you were, let's say I'm going to make a cake, and so I, want, I need to measure what's going to go into that cake. And if I didn't go by a recipe, and I thought, well, I, I want to keep things equal, so I'm going to put one cup of flour and one cup of sugar and one cup of salt. Uh, because everything should be the same, right? 
and one cup of butter and one cup of everything. So, so I had this one cup of salt to it. And uh, how would you like that? Not, it wouldn't, be, wouldn't turn out so good, would it? But um, I, I, I am not a baker, but I enjoy baked goods. So I know something about them. Um, it only takes a little bit of salt. That is its proper measure. That's its contribution to the cake. And yeah, there's going to be a whole lot more flour than there is um, salt. And hopefully there will be a whole lot more cocoa than anything else in the mix. <laughs> but everything in its proper measure. Not every, here, here's the point, really, listen. Not everything has the same measure or is expected to give the same measure. That's what I believe Paul is saying here. We are all to be effective, but to be effective according to the measure that Christ has given us, according to the gifts that he has given us, um, the abilities he's given us, to the way he wants to use us. He may use you in a way that you think is a, it's a small thing, an insignificant thing, but if you, ha if you make the cake without the salt, it's not going to be right. And, and so it ha everything has to have its proper measure. The, it's not up to me to tell you, here is your measure. Here's what you have to do. That is God's, uh, for God to tell you. He will, he will tell you, John, here's how I want to use you. And this is, this is the measure I want you to give. Now, you need to be willing to give the full measure of what he wants you to give, right? The full measure for, uh, from, uh, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies and it has to be the right measure, the full measure, according to the, the measure. And secondly, uh, the coordinate point is by which every part does its share. Every, every part working in connection with the other parts. If, if my hand is going to pick up this pen... Then, you know, it goes, goes down to it. There's a lot of coordination going on in this eye-hand coordination and uh, movement of my arm and wrist and fingers and all. Everything has to work together to accomplish the task. And that's what Paul is saying here, by which every part does its share, whatever that share is. And then we come to the final result which causes a growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we're no longer children, but we grow up. And that's how we grow. This is how we grow. And it causes the growth of the body, the church, for the edifying of uh, of itself in love so that last line really becomes a summary statement of what Paul is getting to in the whole verse so the result of it is 
which causes growth of the body, not just me. It causes growth of my brothers and sisters in Christ, the body, for the building up of itself with the result that it's in love. We have a loving community of cohesive believers and um, it is the means by which we do it. We do it in love. So, that's what Paul is calling, was calling the Ephesians to and as God was leading Paul to write these things exactly like this, I believe it is um, incumbent upon us in our day right now as we're going through the series on the church to, to think about for you individually to think about what, what is my part what does God want me to do ask him pray to God Lord how do you want to use me and then be willing to give your all let's pray Lord we thank you for your plans for us and, and not just for us as individuals um, we do rejoice at, in your grace and calling in our lives that we might be your, your children and your servants but also you have called us as a body to live as a body to minister as a body to each other to be examples to this world of, of unity and, and Lord we pray that you would show us each one of us what our part is, how you want to use us. And Lord, that you would work in our hearts that we would, we would each be willing to give the full measure of whatever you call us to. May you be well pleased by it. May your body grow and uh, build itself up in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.